Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome back. I hope you are doing well, and I invite you to take a deep breath and settle in for a really rich and beautiful show today. My guest is Dr. Arthur P. C. McCauley, and he has been with me before regarding his book, The Stress Solution, which is a fabulous episode if you'd like to go back through the archives and listen to it and uh, further connect with his work. We are at a very interesting time right now. On one hand, we are Uh, social distancing. We are in places of quarantine. We are in places where some people are in isolation and uh, learning to navigate the space that we're in while we deal with both our inner world and our outer world. And then on the other hand, we are experiencing the racial divide. We are experiencing uh, protests and people rising up to state how they feel about the issues that are going on in the world. And that is the diversity that we live in to a certain extent. It is the duality. It is uh, an opportunity that we have sitting before us. Uh, Arthur has written this book uh, because he was brokenhearted. Maybe that is how you feel as well. He was brokenhearted about the recent developments in our society. And he hopes that the exploration of the topics will address the rising tendencies of prejudice and hate within our culture while also discovering a formula to counter the fear of diversity and difference. It is definitely a topic of conversation at this time, but more so, it is an impending need that we must address if our world is to move forward. The book he has written is The Triumph of Diversity, Rejoice in and Benefit from the Interconnectedness of Humankind. And again, it is Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. He is... uh, a, a wonderful gentleman that has written several books uh, and is a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for more than 35 years, a member of the American Psychological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. Dr. Sierra McCauley is on the faculty of the International Association of Wellness Practitioners and a Global Presence Ambassador. Parenting 2.0. He was formerly the chief medical officer of soundminds.org and is also in private practice. I am delighted today to explore his book, The Triumph of Diversity. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Sierra McCauley. Oh, good morning, Simran. Nice to talk with you again. been a while. It's, it's, it has been a while, and it's great to have you here. This, this book is, is beautiful. It really does address, in a wonderful way, uh, the, the implications of hate and how it appears in our lives and where it comes from and how prejudice is uh, something that is is brought into our consciousness, but yet it brings hope because of the many stories inside that illustrate that people can shift and what is required to to make that shift. I'd like to start first with um, your introduction in the book. You talked a bit about... Um, Irving Janice's uh, groupthink concept. And Mm -hmm. I want to kind of start right there as we move then more into uh, how to expand beyond and open up to uh, some of the other topics. But talk a little bit about that particular concept 
and um, and how that suppresses uh, the disagreement and the appraisal of, of alternatives. Well, groupthink, Simran, as you know, positions one group against another. It's a polarizing theory. It's a polar has a polarizing effect on a community or a nation. There's always an enemy. You know, I, I was watching a documentary on Adolf Hitler the other day, and it was surprising to me how parallel it is to today's world. Where he said that in order to influence people, you needed to pick an enemy. And, of course, we know who we picked, the Jewish, the Jewish people. And then when you pick that enemy, he mentioned that you, you tell stories about them and you lie. And when you're confronted about the lie, you even lie further. And you see that's a part of groupthink, that's a part of cults, where we, we have an enemy, we have a bad, a bad person, a good person. Instead of bringing t- people together... It's an attempt to divide and conquer and divide through aggression and, and oftentimes divide through violence. And groupthink is a proponent of many generalizations, just like Hitler did with the Jewish people. Uh, we, do, we, we are doing that today. We see that um, you know, there are many studies that, that demonstrate that uh, hate speech online and hate speech in, in the media has a way of desensitizing people to certain groups, and then people start to believe what they're hearing. So groupthink really is a way of positioning an us-them, very narrow way of thinking. And, and also, from my perspective, it's a great lack of empathy. It's the inability to see in the hearts and souls of other people and see who they really are. We're really basing our opinions in, in a groupthink formula based on prejudice, generalizations, without really knowing the facts. In fact, it, it, it very much is an ignorant position of others. Now, when when... When you talk about that me, that us versus them idea, and I think about what's going on today, uh, let's, let's take the case of George Floyd. There's, there's two ways we could look at that. We could look at that as people coming together to say, okay, no more about this mm-hmm. type of activity. But yet at the same time, there's this very fine line because there's also this uh, us against um, the, the, the police or or yes. um, you know, or or white against black. So so, how do we navigate that spectrum of not moving into the us against them, and yet mm-hmm. at the same time create that that unity and that openness to to move beyond just the fight. You know, Simran, I think there's one given about human nature: it's that one person does not represent a whole group, a whole a whole industry, a whole career path, a whole ethnicity, a whole race. I've been treating police officers, FBI agents for many, many years, and I really have not met a bad person. I mean, I think they're all very good people. And in fact, one of my veteran detectives, who's a patient of mine, said to me the other day, "Is what happened in, in Minnesota makes us all feel terrible. He said, and it, and it, it makes it all worse for all the pe- people in, in, in this industry, in the police officers, FBI agents, and so forth, because then people start to generalize about us. He said, none of my people, none of the people I've ever trained would, would treat a man like that. He said, we, we, we despise people who act like that, police officers who act like that, because it makes, us horrible. it makes it horrible for all of us. And then we start being seen in a negative light, and rather than realizing that that's a minority of people, just like it's a minority of people who were looting. It wasn't most of the protesters. There weren't most of the protesters were not terrorists, as was claimed by certain groups. This is a small fraction of people. 
But the most important thing is to never look at one person, one ethnicity, one race, and think that they rep- that one person or a small group of people represent that entire community or, or group. And, and what we need to do in this society more than ever, I think, more than my lifetime, is, is not to generalize, don't demonize, and don't make assumptions about people before you know the facts. Well, and isn't that really the basis of where a lot of this prejudice uh, and, and these divides come from? It is that one incidence and then lumping people into a group as if all of them are that way and not really ever yes. getting to know them, like the way you had the conversation with the officer that's your client, yes. not ever yes. getting to really yes. know that there's other other uh, perspectives and consciousnesses within that population. Yes, and that, Simran, that's why I emphasize the capacity for empathy so much in all my writings, because empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another person. It goes beyond the surface. It goes beyond the color of a person's skin or beyond the person's religion to see where the commonality is. You know, that old saying that when you really know something, people, when you get beyond the surface, we're all more alike than we are dissimilar. And that's what empathy does. And we have an empathic range Empathy slows down to understand the facts about the situation we're in. We don't generalize. We don't assume one person represents another because they look alike or they're from the same community or the same religion. We realize that every human being is unique. And, and it's critically, critically important in today's society to follow that guideline because every human being is unique. And when we start generalizing, then we get into groupthink, us-them-think. And rather than bringing people together, that is divisive behavior, and it's a divisive way to be thinking. So as an esteemed psychologist that's worked with so many people and and been in the capacities that you've had in so many organizations, how do we get to that place of empathy when, when people are in a reactive mode or they've gotten into their intense emotion about something that's happened? All of a sudden, that seems like distraction rather than feeling and wouldn't empathy first come from knowing what we're feeling and then tapping into what the other is feeling well one one thing yes ultimately yes that that's correct but one thing that's important is when emotions rise empathy and reason usually go out the window you know empathy doesn't rush in to console like sympathy does there's a difference between sympathy and empathy sympathy rushes in to console without knowing the facts empathy is a more thoughtful process. It's a more objective process to ascertain the truth. When people are screaming and yelling and, and their stress hormones are released, and stress, particularly the stress hormone cortisol, it creates, very small, it creates a very small way of looking at the world. It creates narrow black and white thinking. And that stress hormone is released when we get angry. And when we're really angry, rather than slowing down our emotional responses so that we can think clearly and reasonably and ascertain the facts, that's when we find out the truth. When we're reacting quickly, especially with anger, and that's what happens a lot in groups of people. When you rile up a, a group of people, we've, we've, we see these in the demagogues in our history, Hitler and Mussolini and others, they riled up the, 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 the people they're talking to, and without even realizing it, they're producing the stress response in those people who are listening. And when you do that, it really lessens a person's ability to think reasonably and rationally. And it makes it much easier for, to manipulate people when you get people who are angry. The other thing is when people react quickly with anger, it's often from their old conditioning, and they don't even realize it. It's like 
when you when you give someone feedback and and even if it's not complimentary, if they stop for a moment to think about it, that person is not threatened. Their self esteem is intact, so they can actually think about the information you're giving them. When people are defensive and they react right right away, like I can't believe you're saying that about me, and they get very angry, it's because they can't tolerate going internal, looking at whether this is actually truthful or not. And that's where empathy comes in because empathy slows down a process to find out the truth. But it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to look at yourself in the mirror and realize that there's probably none of us that arrived in adulthood without bias and prejudice about ourselves or others. We all have heard things in our own homes, our neighborhoods, or maybe even our schools that weren't accurate. You know, I, I, I always try to teach that we write a novel early in life a story we write about ourselves and others that's based on what we hear from significant others. And our job as adults is to unlearn that novel and make it a nonfiction book. I mean, I, as I said in the book, you know, when I, was, when I was in elementary school, I mean, I heard that the Irish were drunks, the Italians were in the mob, the Jews were cheap, the blacks were lazy, gays were going to hell, atheists were evil, the Russians and the Chinese were terrible people who wanted to conquer us, kill us even. And then by the time I was later in high school, I learned that none of that was true. They were all generalizations that were not true. But when I'm seven or six or anyone is six, seven, five years old, you believe what you're hearing. You're looking up to the authority figures in your life. And then we have to unlearn. Not only unlearn what we think of others, but also unlearn some of the things we learned about ourselves that are not true. I mean, I've spent my whole career trying to help people reduce prejudice against themselves and others. Because when, you're, when you have negative self-talk internally and prejudice against yourself based on distorted feedback that you got from others who weren't very accurate in, in helping you learn who you are, you're much more likely to project it outward. You're much more likely to see in a biased way other people because you can't even see your own self clearly. This is... From uh, Dr. Arthur Sear McCauley, and we are talking about the book Triumph of Diversity. We are encountering the phobia of ignorance. Do not fear those who are different, those of a faith, misconceived as terrorism, a faith of peace and tolerance, a faith as common as brown eyes, a faith similar to your own, a faith only known for their radicalists. For I fear those who are the same, constructing a supremist society roping people farther into hatred of individualism off of a misunderstanding. I fear those who believe that there are limitations to freedom, limitations to the land of the free and equal, rules of who is allowed a chance. I fear those only capable of seeing the worst, categorizing one religion with extremists. I fear those who cannot see past the blindness of their misconceptions. I fear those who do not know the impact of that fear, longing for the sobriety of society the dawn of awareness, the day people can walk into the street without the fear of being accused, accused of hating their own country. This is a poem that is by Shaheen, and it is listed in the book, The Triumph of Diversity. Uh, You can find out more about uh, Arthur's work at his website, um, in addition to his other uh, book, uh, which is the stress solution, and the website is balanceyoursuccess.com. Uh, he is, again, an individual who is a uh, clinical psychologist, 
licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for over 35 years and has written a couple of different books. Again, go back to his website, which is balanceyoursuccess.com. We'll be right back with more of the triumph of diversity right after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. Uh, Before we get back to our guest, I want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Skillshare. It is an online learning community that is offering our listeners two months of free premium membership. You can explore new skills, deep and exciting passions, and get lost in your creativity with classes from Skillshare. And there are some exciting ones, everything from illustration, graphic design, photography, and creative writing, to fine art, animation, film and video, marketing, web development, freelance and entrepreneurship. So while you are home and isolating and have more time to yourself, develop some of these beautiful skill sets that you can take to utilize for fun or online or in new business. Right now, Skillshare is such a great resource to have so that you can stay inspired, express yourself, and connect to a community of creatives. With fascinating classes, 
and many, many different topics. Uh, You can move into things about drawing, writing, journaling, and the classes can be a great way to help manage the stress, practice mindfulness, and feel connected to one another. They offer classes designed for real life and all circumstances that come with it. Creative self-discovery and expression can settle your mind, and spontaneous acts of creativity can help break up the routine of the day indoors. So Skillshare's short classes are a perfect fit. You'll create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives who provide encouragement, communication, and inspiration. You can get your two free months of premium membership uh, by going to Skillshare.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. Uh, Definitely Tap into and look at all of the things that they do. I think you'll find some things that are really exciting. They will help settle your mind. It is membership with meaning. And if you've got kids at home, creative classes and projects are a great way to keep them engaged and busy while connecting to their creativity. Again, that is Skillshare.com forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11. We are talking today to Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley about his book, The Triumph of Diversity, which could not have come at a better time. When the origin of prejudice cannot be identified, it is often the result of conditioning from the past that was not examined earlier in an objective manner. What we hear in our homes can easily become a belief in a young person's mind. It is a scientific fact that when we form empathic bonds, we change brain chemistry for the better producing the near-miracle neurotransmitter oxytocin, which creates trust and a willingness to listen and to learn. This is from Arthur's book, The Triumph of Diversity. Welcome back, uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley. I want to go back to a little bit of what you said in the last segment, and it goes more to the herd mentality. And and when we're moving into these areas where where people are protesting, I know I saw a, a, a clip on social media last week and there was the most adorable little five-year-old child and she was marching and she had her fist in the air and you could see the expression on her face the intensity and the emotion that was coming through it and so as as people are protesting is that is that helping is that hindering like how do we how do we channel some of this energy in a way that it is not just the emotion uh, that is out there so that we lose the empathy or we lose the conversation that's required. Well, you know, I've been impressed. I mean, incredibly impressed with the protests all around. And as I mentioned, I, I went to a protest here in Massachusetts on, on Sunday night. And what I'm very impressed with is that these are people of all races, all religions. And and I, I hadn't seen that in the past. And a number of commentators had made that uh, have made that observation throughout the country that there's almost as many white people as there are black people, Asians, and, and brown people. So it's a group of people. It's, it's all of humanity. And we're coming together. And I think there's a movement beginning where people want to be free of prejudice. People want to be, as you said, as you were reading that poem earlier, Simran, in the, that's in the book, that uh, they want to be able to go out on the street and, and, not, and not be worried. But, you know... Blacks and Latinos, in, in, in just a study last year, just last year by the Kaiser Foundation, said that they feel more in danger than they, than they have were in, in, even in 2015, that they feel that the amount of prejudice and disdain for who they are just based on how they look is significant. And 
Also, we're seeing that right now with Asian Americans because of a lot of the comments, the negative comments by politicians about China. One of my clients is a Chinese American. She was born in this country, and she was putting out the garbage the other night in Boston, and, and one of the neighbors was yelling at her, go back home, and you brought this virus and, and all of that. And again, here's a woman who was born here. She was born here. <laughs> she she doesn't, mm. wasn't even born in China, but she, she looks Asian, of course. <laughs> And so she was criticized. But one of the things I think about the protests that I think is very hopeful is that most of them are being, I think 90% of them are being very reasonable. Yes, they're chanting together, but it's not, I don't think it's violent. I think that's a very small amount of people. And I think some of them have been, and we know through some credible research into internet sites that some of this is being driven by white supremacists and other friends groups that are trying to make black people look bad. But I think all in all, it's, it's a group of people coming together of all, all aspects of races and ethnicities. And I think that's so encouraging and religions. You know, you see Christians, Muslims, Jews, and, and atheists together. So I think, I think this is very important that it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a multifaceted group of people that want to eliminate prejudice in our country and are facing the truth finally. We, we, racism, look, when we talk about the 60s and what, and what was happening with Martin Luther King, and, so, and we're, here we are again. It's like nothing has changed. I mean, anti-Semitism is, is, was at a record high in 2018. Muslim hate crimes rose 67% in the last three years. I mean, that, that's just amazing. And then... One of the Gallup poll studies that I, th- I thought was incredibly important for us to realize is those, those people who reported hating Jews were 30 times more likely to feel the same toward Muslims. So, mm. so there it is. There's two groups. These are people who just hate. And, and then we have to look. When we, when we have empathy, we look beyond the surface to how come they hate. You know, as you know, in the book, I've told stories about interviewing white supremacists and eventually unraveling their hatred and, and the origin of their hatred. And then where, where does it come that they were hurt as children? Uh, you know, one of my clients, not one of my clients, he was a, a, a son of, of one of the women, a single mom who I was treating. And he went to Florida with an uncle who's a white supremacist. His father left the family when he was very young. Dad was an active alcoholic. And he grew up in a part of Boston where it was mainly black kids on the bus. And the black kids would tease them and hit them. And so he grew up kind of hating blacks. And then when he went down south and, and was living with this uncle, he finally found a family. And then he came in and he called me names, you know, when he, I only met with him one time, but he called me a WAP and a guinea and, you know, trying to insult me and get me to be angry with him. Long story short, I just kept trying to understand him. I, I tried to use my empathy to get beyond the surface of his anger and his rage to understand where that hurt was. Well, the hurt came from those early experiences, but you know what he acknowledged with tears in his eyes? It was more the abandonment of his father than it even was the kids on the bus because other fathers would have protected their sons. Mm. And there was no father to do that. His mother's, you know, my client works three jobs. I mean, she could barely, you know, get enough money to pay the rent and put food on the table. So he didn't have the protection of a father and then he found a father in the white supremacist movement. And, you know, I, I interviewed Christian Picciolini who was one of the leading white supremacists in the country who now has, you know, 
formed a, a group where he tries to get kids out of hate groups and out of white supremacist groups because he realized that much of what he had been taught was incorrect, was distorted information. But I think when we go back to the origin of hatred, there's always a, an injury, a hurtful injury, uh, what many psychologists would call a narcissistic injury, an injury to the sense of self. And then, and then it, gets, it, gets, it gets projected out as aggression toward others. And when we can slow down, you know, I have, I have leadership and communication groups that have been going on for many years, and they're people of different ethnicities, different races, different religions. And when we make empathy, the, the prime way that we're relating, and particularly with empathic listening in these groups, people come to see how wrong they were in what they thought of one particular group of an, or another. And they end up feeling much more comfortable in life because... You know, when you have prejudice, you're producing stress within your system whenever you're near somebody who you think is not like you. And diversity kind of opens up the world. I mean, it, it expands your mind and it enriches the soul. It's the antidote to groupthink. Because now you can be with black people, Asian people, white people, Jewish people, Muslim people. You know, when I interviewed people of all religions for this group, and it was just a wonderful experience. And the, the experience I enjoyed the most was the interfaith groups because... There's Muslims, Sikhs, Jews, Christians, uh, Protestants, Catholics, and they all really like each other, and they all really learn from each other. It's such a, it's such a wonderful model. But I do think, to, you know, long-winded answer to your question, I do think this movement is one that's including everyone, and that, I think, is, is very optimistic from my perspective. That, that is different than from back in the 60s, because when Martin Luther King was marching, it was primarily... Uh, African American blacks. It was yes. it it was it was one race really trying to stand for themselves, and now there is a diversity in the in the protests that are taking place, and yeah. they are calm for the most part. I would say the looters are the ones in that spectrum that you're talking about that have no empathy, that are in their rage, that are in their anger. You write about the empathy dilemma, and you say empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It is essentially the ability to see beyond the surface and into the heart and soul of another. And that countries with the higher levels of empathy, according to Michigan State University studies, have higher levels of self-esteem, agreeableness, conscientiousness, well-being, pro-social behavior, and collectivism. You just talked about the gentleman that got pulled into the, the white supremacist group. And it really does have to do with a lack of sense of self and the wounding that you mentioned mm-hmm. from the from the narcissism or narcissistic uh, type of parenting that can take place, and that can be anything mm-hmm. from from overly loving to to uh, to the type that is is ignoring um, can be narcissistic yeah. type of parental abuse. Talk a little bit more about that grounding within us as children. Well, I think <clears throat> you know when you're entitled and and you don't have limits set. And, and I think children, all, all children do want limits set, even though they don't verbally ask for them. It creates a distortion in your own personality because you go out into the world in a very entitled way and you don't develop empathy for others. It, it, you develop a more of a self-centered, self-absorbed personality. On the other hand, if you're ignored or, or physically abused or even mentally abused, I mean, we know one of the longest studies at Children's Hospital in Boston has been following families where, you know, when, when parents would bring their kids in, they, they would have, the physicians would have clinical child psychologists with them to see 
which parents talked in very disparaging ways to their kids and even yelled at them. And they followed them over 15, 20 years. And these were not children that were hit, by the way, but they had a lot of stress in their family from the way parents talked to them. They, they, they had shrinkage in their telomeres, you know, the end of the chromosomes in everyone's body that actually aged them six to eight years more than their biological age. That's how much the stress affected them. So we know when you're raised in a home like that, you're, you're not very open to the world because you're fearful. So when you're abandoned or neglected or you're, you're verbally demeaned, you don't go out in the world feeling that you're safe. So why in the world would you try to encounter people that don't look like you or, or take a chance to be vulnerable to someone who doesn't seem like they're from your group of people? So it, those type of people tend to be more inhibited because they're afraid. They're afraid of being hurt again. So, so much happens in those early years that, that determines how we see the world. But again, we, anything that's learned, you know, prejudice is learned. It's learned out of distorted beliefs. And anything that's learned can be unlearned. So when we're with people who are reasonable, who are kind, who have empathy and compassion and are open to the world, we we, want to be exposed to those kind of people so that we can unlearn some of what we came to believe that we know is not true so we can open up our hearts to others and even to ourselves. We don't have to feel so fearful because everybody is not like that father or mother who might have been demeaning. You know, that the world isn't, the world isn't as that little, when you grow up in that little family, when you're young, it seems like the world. It seems like it's representative of the whole world. But we have to learn as adults that it isn't. You know, no study would be very credible if it was only done on three or four people, right? So those, we, we, we can be very influenced because we're young and, and we don't really know who we are. So we take in information about ourselves and others again that isn't necessarily true and we have to re-examine. And I think that's what the nation is doing right now. We're re-examining how we have treated others. Why, why is it that, that uh, certain groups are, are hindered from developing? Certain groups are not allowed to reach their potential. Why do we put down certain other people? Are we doing that to elevate ourselves? Because we don't really elevate ourselves. We only make ourselves feel more insecure. Scientists have proven that stressful homes age a child on a cellular level, shortening telomeres, the end of the chromosomes that lessen as we age. So they age on an internal level beyond their biological age. There's also a significant correlation between stressful homes and anxiety, depression, and addiction in adolescence and early childhood. Many young people in our current polarized society are searching for ways to feel wanted and connected. Human beings need to connect. And when healthy modeling is not provided for children, adolescents, and young adults, then they will find a way to feel better, even if it sacrifices their health in the long run. This is from the book, The Triumph of Diversity, by Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley. It is uh, subtitled, Rejoice in and Benefit from the Interconnectedness of Humankind. It is a beautiful book to pick up and read for yourself, to read with your children, to help understand between your friends, families, and communities how we can break our indifference and our apathy and move more into the connectedness that we have in front of us, the triumph of diversity. You can find out more about Dr. Sierra McCauley and his work at Balance Your Success. Dot com. That's balanceyoursuccess.com. 
In addition, I want to remind you uh, about my sponsor, Skillshare. Definitely check out the special two free months of premium membership that they're offering, Skillshare.com forward slash 11. Explore some of their writing courses, their photography, their animation, their fine art, freelance and entrepreneurship and web development crafts. There's so many things there that could be beneficial, not only from a creative standpoint, but also from a psychological standpoint. This is creativity as self-care. It is learning as a way to productively fend off boredom, content as escapism, and a community with similar interests to provide support and encouragement. Again, you can get that two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com forward slash 11 and spell out the word 11. We'll be right back with my wonderful guest, Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley and the triumph of diversity right after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream the 1111 mastermind community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion go to courses.1111mag.com that's courses.1111mag.com change begins with you let it be simple convenient and transformative the time is now step through the 1111 gateway courses.1111mag.com Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back into our conversation, I want to let you know a little bit about uh, some of the work that Dr. Sarah McCauley 
has authored. Uh, he is the author, of course, of this one, The Triumph of Diversity, Rejoicing in and Benefiting from the Interconnectedness of Humankind. He is also author of The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy, in addition to The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. There is a wonderful interview in the 1111 Archives uh, regarding that book if you want to listen to a little bit more about that one. It is a powerful book that can be very helpful at this time as well. He also authored Performance Addiction, The Dangerous New Syndrome and How to Stop It from Ruining Your Life, The Curse of the Capable, The Hidden Challenges to a Balanced, Healthy Life, Healthy High Achieving Life, and The Power of Empathy, A Practical Guide to Creating Intimacy, Self-Understanding, and Lasting Love, which is now published in seven languages. His first book, Treatment of Abuse and Addiction, A Holistic Approach, was selected as Book of the Month by the Psychotherapy Book News. He is also the co-author of Beyond the Influence which is Understanding and Defeating Alcoholism, and founder of the Empathy and Goodness Project on Facebook and Healthy Empathic Achievement on LinkedIn. He has authored the Anti-Anxiety App, Anti-Depression App, and Workbooks Transforming Anxiety into Joy, a practical workbook to gain emotional freedom, along with Changing Your Inner Voice, A Journey Through Depression to Truth and Love in collaboration with SoundMinds.org. So you have got... Um, amazing expert to connect yourself with. His website is balanceyoursuccess.com. So as we've discussed uh, throughout the show, some of the different stories and some of the things that create uh, a transition from from hate to love, it is evident that we can change, that there is a way to move from these feelings of hate or or, or at least within communities to seed Uh, a different perspective in our youth. It definitely does take a village, and we are all part of that village. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, shame and the fear of difference and how we, how we move our youth and, and, and our, our younger uh, population into that place of really standing in a greater sense of self and how we also move against some of the entitlement. We, they talk a lot about some of these younger generations feeling more entitled or, or not having the same sense of um, connection uh, because of all of the technology that is out there that we, we once had. So is that contributing to some of what's going on? I have so many parents that uh, have so much difficulty with their kids because they're getting on sites that are very dangerous. And of course, some of the some of the use is very addictive, so I think it has to be very carefully monitored. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the amount of research I can do very easily with Google searches and so forth, uh, which I couldn't do 20 years ago. So, I mean, there's an advantage and there's a disadvantage, but I think for young people, it has to be monitored. In terms of empathy, though, I do think, you know, we know that empathy has decreased in our society and narcissism has increased. You know, there's, there's some studies from uh, Stanford, the neuropsych laboratory, that the average person in 2009 was less empathic than 75% of people in 1979. Mm. So why, why has empathy decreased? I, I think we're in, in a bit of a, a war in this country, in a way, between, between money, material possession, image, versus integrity, uh, uh, <clears throat> authenticity, compassion, and 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 being uh, authentic and and wanting to be a good person, 
I think the type of person we are, character versus esteem and, and how our resumes look, there's a divide there. I mean, I'm all for achieving. I think people can earn a living and still be doing good for others. And, but I think there's a divide, and I think there's a divide politically as well, between thinking that money is, is the one thing that will bring happiness versus the type of person you are. You know, Columbia does a study every year of their graduating seniors of what they see most important going out into the world. And empathy and compassion used to be in the top five. Now they're around 14th or 15th. And money, making money is one or two consistently. And gaining material possession is one or two consistently. So we've moved away from who we are. You know, many people, theologians, have said that we are materially rich and spiritually poor. And now I don't think that's the case for everybody, but I think we've moved away from emphasis on who we are and not just what we do, not just how we look. I mean, we, we know that America is obsessed with appearance. We, we spend so much money on cosmetic surgeries and so forth, and I'm, I'm not negative about that and that it's, if it's, if it's something that, that people want. But I think we're so focused on appearance and status and, and not very focused on character and integrity and authenticity. And that's what we need to teach our young people. And that's what our leaders need to be. Because when our leaders, as, as, we, as I spoke earlier, when our leaders talk in disparaging ways about other people, when they're sadistic, when they make hurtful comments, when they can't tolerate feedback and, rather than, and, and strike back with uh, ten times the force, trying to humiliate the other person who didn't agree with them, it's such a poor model because it says getting ahead at all costs is what we do. That's what Americans do. And I don't think that's how most Americans want to be. I think we're longing for leaders. That, that's why I wrote, I wrote the book, The Soulful Leader. We're longing for leaders who, who want to be of service, who want to do good for others, who want to tease out the potential of young people, who aren't just driven by how much money they have in their 401ks. So... I think there, there needs to be a shift. I think that there has been a shift back to materialism and, and greed rather than compassion and giving and goodness. But I think that we're seeing a shift back now, and I'm hoping that that's part of this movement that we're seeing in the streets right now. Yes, it, it is challenging when we have leadership that is, is, is so blatantly um, verbally abusive and 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 so ignorant to to the compassion towards all peoples, um, it, and and there is that materialism that is very very evident that that comes out. Um, so I'm I'm very much in alignment with you. In in having done so much work myself in self love and in working with others on self love, what I have realized is that until we're willing to realize that our our degree of self-love can only be achieved if we're willing to face our degree of self-hate. And you have a chapter mm-hmm. in the book that the greatest mm-hmm. prejudice of all is our self-hate. Talk yeah. a little bit about that because most people would say, oh, I never would hate myself. But they, I don't know that people realize that even just the slightest negative thinking and negative thought are some of the, the symptoms of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think what, what people don't realize often is that every negative thought, every negative thought, negative thought we have has a neurochemical reaction, causes a neurochemical reaction in the brain. So if you look in the mirror the first thing in the morning and you say, oh, gee, I look old or I'm not pretty or I'm not handsome or <clears throat> you're making these kind of comments about yourself all day long, it really depletes you. 
It, it influences your immune system. <laughs> it causes inflammation because it releases the stress hormone cortisol, which has very, very negative effects on your overall physiology. So self-hate, I always say that the, the greatest addiction of all is addiction to our own negative thinking because it's so hard to, it's so hard to change. And that's why it takes, it takes discipline and real focus. And we can't do it on our own. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're all too subjective. We need feedback from other people who will tell us the truth. And, you know, the old saying is, is a really good friend <clears throat> tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I love the exercises that you did with people where you actually have them verbalize it out loud because so often so many of our negative thoughts, they just stay inside and keep looping. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. that constant re-imprinting of that same thing. But you, you, you spoke about having people speak them out loud so they could actually hear them. And when they did, they mm-hmm. saw how, how negative and ridiculous and, 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 and demeaning to themselves they were being. Yes, yes. Yes, it often even it causes uh, a laughter because it sounds so silly because people don't realize how extreme they're being and how negative they are being. And I often ask people, where, where's that coming from? You know, how did you learn that? How did you learn to say I'm ugly? How did you learn to, to categorize yourself as stupid? Or sometimes in, in my groups, people will make a comment and say, oh, that didn't make sense. And I'll and ask people in the group, did, did Laura not just make sense? And everyone will say, I, we all understood perfectly what you meant. But it's that self-criticism that doesn't match what other people think. That's why in rewriting our story, it's so important to get feedback from other reasonable people who care, who, who are really curious and about you and are trying to help you understand who you are. And like you said, Simran, facing who you are. And, and there aren't a lot of people who will say they hate themselves, even though they say hateful things about themselves every day. And if you're doing that, it's very hard to be open to other people. So you have to be very careful that if you're doing it internally, are you going to project it externally? And is that how we discover then um, how we've been part of this desensitization of prejudice? Because if we're not even willing to recognize how we beat up on ourselves, we, we can't possibly be conscious to the language coming out of our mouth to other people. Yes, I mean, that, that's an excellent point because we know from research that hate speech online and, and, and in the media desensitizes us to minority groups or whatever groups are being demeaned. But doesn't that occur to, with ourselves as well? Yes. So if you're, if you're talking to yourself all that, all about that, that way, like people who criticize their, their physicality or they're always too heavy and they're always on a diet, as soon as they look at somebody on TV, they do the same thing. Oh, it, gee, she got a little fat or she's a little heavy or her cheeks look at, you know, you hear it all the time. Even though people are very uncomfortable to say it out loud, they're, they're being as judgmental of others as they are of themselves. Most individuals will say, oh, I, I only do that to myself. I wouldn't do it to anyone else. Well, that's hardly the case. You may not say it, but you're feeling it. Because if, mm. you're, that, if you're that critical of yourself and your own physicalness, your own physique, your how you look, how are you not doing that with others when you look at them? <clears throat> Yes. Um, you also go into the book a little bit about the Me Too movement and and how that grew and how that has expanded, yet it also got criticism. For individuals that really want to stand strong in the stance to create more diversity and to stand for other people, 
it takes a certain level of courage and it takes the ability to really have grounded within one's own sense of self. Is there mm-hmm. any uh, advice that you would offer individuals in in sustaining their courage, in sustaining their uh, ability to persist? Well, I, I think the world is changing in that regard too, and I think I think women have to have a voice. You know, I, I've said many times in interviews that in my long career, the thing that still amazes me the most is how much women tolerate. Um, I, I just, even in 2020, it amazes me that, um, you know, I, I, I had a couple not long ago where this fella is, he has to be 45, 50 pounds overweight, and his wife is absolutely beautiful. And he wanted to come in and meet me because she has been coming to see me. And she's just a, a, a wonderful human being, very kind, very compassionate. And he looks at her and says, uh, you know, honey, don't you think you're getting a little heavy? And, you know, and he looks at her and he's pointing at her stomach. And he's saying that in front of me. And I'm looking at him like, and I, I, I asked him a question. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you shave, right? He said, yeah. And I said, do you see Brad Pitt? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, is that who you see? I'm not understanding how, from your physique, you're so focused on her couple of pounds that she gained. And, and then she's telling him she's going to join a gym and, <laughs> and she's mm. going to try harder. And, uh, you know, it was, it was even hard to listen to. Mm. Yeah, there's so much work that we have to do. And the, 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 the work starts inside, doesn't it? It truly does. Yes, yes. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show again, Dr. Sam McCauley. Uh, your work is incredible, and this book, The Triumph of Diversity, is definitely a book for these times. Empathy is the salve that teaches us to reach beyond our own circle and to be at ease with uncertainty. We would be a better people and nation if we focused on taking the time to listen and learn from those who have seen from a different perspective than us. Rather than remaining stuck in our views, empathy allows us to be open to other possibilities. Then we are in a position to make decisions based on facts rather than blindly adhering to our party, our religion, or whatever organization with which we identify. This is from the book, The Triumph of Diversity. I invite you to find out more about Dr. Sierra McCauley by going to his website, balanceyoursuccess.com. Next week, my guest is Mark Nepo. We'll be discussing his latest book. I look forward to spending time with you then. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.